Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Adam Miller and today I'm joined by Johnny McFarlane and Gaby Mackay, one of whom is wearing a smart casual ensemble and the other a Buffy the Vampire Slayer t-shirt. On the pod today, we'll be discussing the latest chapter in Alessandro Del Piero's lifelong love affair with Kilmarnock, Stevie May's future and whether you should go back to a club you used to play for, and on the back of Andy Gray's comments about Rangers, we ask if Steven Gerrard's side have what it takes to win this season's title. So, kicking things off with Del Piero, that is the actual, genuine, real Alessandro Del Piero who was today singing the praises of Kilmarnock. The man who scored 290 goals and won eight titles in his 705 games for Juventus worked with new Kelly boss Angelo Alessio. Alessio was assistant to Antonio Conte when Del Piero won his final title for Juve, and Del Piero said, I had the pleasure of working with Angelo Alessio and got to know him from a personal and professional point of view. I appreciated his technical and human qualities. He is a man of character, very meticulous in his work, and as versatile as when he played. For many years, he's been the main technical collaborator for Antonio Conte, Italy and Chelsea, and Conte would have liked him to join him at Inter. <coughs> Alessio has chosen to walk alone, and at Kilmarnock I think you'll have the opportunity to appreciate his qualities. I've known him as an assistant, but not as a manager, and it's not a simple transition, especially at the beginning. One thing is certain, Alessio has character, skills and desire to do well. Throughout his career as a footballer and coach, he's always been appreciated for his great flexibility and for his constant desire to improve. Antonio Conte's obsession with victory is a nice starting point for those seeking success in a new path. In eight years of working together, Conte and Alessio have shared everything. Antonio and Angelo are different characters, but for this reason they've complemented each other for many years. Mr Alessio faces a new challenge in which he'll bring methods and principles that have always been the basis of Conte's philosophy, work ethics, obsessive attention to every single detail and hunger for victory that never fails. So he's been very enthusiastic about Alessio there and then in a very surreal uh, set of circumstances that I don't think anyone would have ever envisaged, Del Piero went on to wax lyrical about Kelly. He said, I think it's a great opportunity for both Scottish football will interact with an Italian coach who wants to give himself a new and more personal dimension after so many successful seasons assisting a great coach who was able to establish himself in Italy, England and also with a national team. Alessio starts a new path with an excellent club and you can see a massive smile on Gaby's face right now. Sweaty. (laughs) Replacing an important manager like Steve Clark who was not surprisingly chosen to lead the Scottish national team. Again, Del Piero clearly keeping up to date with what's going on in Scottish football. In Italy, it was taken for granted that Alessio would follow Conte to enter. Everything was ready, and certainly Angelo would have signed an important contract and experienced another compelling experience alongside his coach. It went differently because Kilmarnock ignited the desire for a challenge of his own. Gaby, that must have been wonderful listening for you. As a resident Kelly correspondent, has your heart rate slowed down since you read those Del Piero quotes this morning? No, it has not. Um, people know I'm a Kilmarnock fan. Also, Alessandro Del Piero is my favourite player of all time. I had pictures of him on my wall growing up and might still do in my parents' house. Uh, I've got like five Del Piero shirts. Uh, it was a very exciting moment for me. It was essentially the dream. Uh, yeah. Del Piero praising Kilmarnock. It was a perfect Venn diagram of things <laughs> I want to see. And yeah, uh, I, I, I almost smiled. 
You almost smiled. <laughs> Having spent time covering Serie A for Football Italia and obviously growing up as a massive fan of Del Piero, you're obviously steeped in Juve and their history and have watched countless games. And What are your sort of standout memories of Del Piero? Well, personally, uh, I saw him score a terrific free kick against Celtic at Celtic Park in a Champions League game. Celtic ended up winning 4-3. It was an absolutely terrific game, but he scored a a brilliant free kick at the st- uh, in the first half of that game and went off at half-time. Uh, I think Celtic fans were quite pleased to see him go, perhaps not so pleased to see David Trezeguet come on for him. Uh, I saw his final game for Juventus against Atalanta in which he scored, which was uh, pretty goosebump-inducing, I think. Uh, he had about a half-hour ovation walking around the pitch. <laughs> it was it was quite something. Uh I didn't see this at the time, but uh, there's a great video of him absolutely mugging off Alec Cleland when he plays against Rangers. He just uh, puts the ball through his legs. Some say Cleland's still looking for it. And uh, apparently he was then, Richard Goff went over to Cleland. This Del Piero was 19 at the time. And he goes, look, if he does that again, you put him up in the air. So five minutes later, of course, Del Piero does it again. Cleland puts him up in the air and gets sent off. And Juventus win the match 4-0. yeah, so that's, I mean, I could literally talk about Del Piero for half an hour today and, you know. <laughs> Take, taking your sort of personal biases out of the equation, uh, do you think Del Piero um, is uh, on the right track there when he's talking about Alessio and the relationship he's had built up with uh, Conte? Do you think that uh, that's that's something that is going to give Kilmarnock fans hope going into the new season? Yeah, well, I think to hear such a, a great player talking about your manager in that way is not something that you would necessarily expect if you're a if you're a Kilmarnock fan it's obviously that's one of the big things that if the players who are used to be working under Steve Clark for the last two years and I think we saw Cut Broadfoot today saying that Alessio was doing things a little bit differently and they'll have to take time to get used to it but it's quite a it's a good card to pull out if you're Alessio and anybody questions you. It's like, well, you know, Del Piero thinks I'm great. How many World Cups have you won? <laughs> uh, Johnny, you said earlier on when we were talking upstairs that you actually had some concerns regarding Alessio. Well, yes. I, I was really impressed with the signing uh, of Alessio because it showed the Kilmarnock were a club prepared to think outside the box. There were so many names on the shortlist that had been doing the rounds in the media that were kind of uninspiring, the, the, the first names that you would go to for any kind of Scottish job. And they thought outside the box, went for somebody with a truly elite experience. And I thought that that deserved to be applauded. I have concerns around his grasp of English, having listened to a couple of his pressers now. Um, he doesn't seem to be as fluent as I would have expected from someone that spent so much time in, in England with Chelsea. Um, I think that's especially uh, problematic given the fact that Scot- Scotland is a, is, a, is a completely different brand of English than he'll have been used to yeah. down, down south. Um, so it'll take a bit of getting used to the accents and things like that. Um, I just look at previous foreign managers that have come in. If they aren't very, very good in terms of their communication, sometimes they can struggle because Scottish players are, are known to be that, that old-fashioned Scottish word, quite thrown when it comes to taking on new ideas and new mm-hmm. concepts. Um, and I think you have to be very, very good to get those across quickly. Someone like Brendan Rodgers, for example, was, to all intents and purposes, a foreign manager in terms of the ideas that he brought in. To, but he, to he learned the language quite quickly, though. But he learned the language very quickly. But he was a very, very good, very, very pr- precise communi- communicator, which helped him get these ideas across to players who obviously who probably had fixed ideas about what they were going to do. Um, you're talking about a lot of professionals in that squad that are experienced. You look at people like Kirk Broadfoot, like Alex Bruce has just come back, guys who've been around the block a long time. 
Um, and I just have slight concerns that um, if Alessio doesn't focus heavily on his English and his communi- communication skills, some of these different uh, ideas that he's bringing in that Kurt Broadfoot was talking about in the press conference today might take longer to gel than, than, than would normally be the case. I take your point, but we're talking about someone maybe not having the perfect grasp of English and then bringing Kurt Broadfoot into the <laughs> equation. So, um, Gaby, you know, as someone who's intimately acquainted with Kilmarnock, do you think that will be a significant issue or do you think that he's got the kind of backroom staff around him that will allow him to sort of overcome any potential issues there in terms of language? Eh, penso che lui è un straniero e gli uh, accenti delle scozzese sono difficili, so uh, per me non è un caso. Sorry, I just assume Johnny speaks perfect Italian since he's slagging <laughs> off Angelo. <laughs> si. <laughs> no, I think, look, he's got uh, Massimo Donati as his assistant, who obviously has spent a lot of time in Scotland and will have a better understanding of the peculiarities of the Scottish accent and the Scottish game. The, a lot of the backroom staff are still there from when Steve Clark was there. I think if you look at Alessio's CV, the players have to absolutely respect that, I think. So... I, I think if there's a new manager coming in, particularly working in Scotland for the first time, yeah, there could be teething problems at the start, but I'm not sure just because his English isn't absolutely perfect, which, as I just said in Italian, part of that, I'm sure, is the accents, that it's a difficult accent to understand is the the Scottish one. I don't think it's a big issue, honestly. Time will, time will tell, obviously. I'm just looking at uh, the, the history of, of managers that have come in, foreign managers in the mm-hmm. Scottish game. They tend not to do that well. That might say more about a Scottish mentality and than absolutely. it does about the outside. Absolutely. It's not a criticism of, of yeah. Alessio. I've already yeah. said that I thought it was a, a really good forward-thinking appointment. But we live in the real world. You know, yeah. th- This is the real politic of a, a man who's coming into Scottish football and trying to put his ideas across. Sometimes we are not the most o- open as a nation to new ideas. Yeah. We're an island culture. But don't you think that he has that clout of, as I said earlier, of you know Del Piero thinks I'm good, and having worked with Pirlo and Pogba and Buffon and Chiellini and Hazard, you know, you'd think that that would give him more of a kind of clout about him than necessarily some of the you know Shabalazlo, for example, a guy who's been in Scotland before, or you know, absolutely. But that only lasts so long, you know. Um, a lot of people are talking about this with Steven Gerrard when he came in at Rangers. You you get maybe two or three weeks from that, that that name recognition. Look at John Barnes, um, was one of the greatest players skill-wise to come out of England for maybe 40 or 50 years. Um, when he went to Celtic, you know, he got a little while to settle in. Um, people respected his name. But after after a certain amount of time, it's just a case of, right, what are your ideas like? What are your training sessions like? What are you like one-to-one? Yeah, but if you, and if and all that becomes irrelevant. Yeah, but if you're sort of, if you're a player and you're not sure about the, the methods, what I'm saying is that he has that background to back him up that if he's worked with these absolutely elite top-level players, if you're a player and, you know, you're not a total idiot, you might think, look, this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe this seems a little strange to me. Maybe it seems a bit out of the ordinary, but the guy, if you look at his CV, he knows what he's talking about. You know, John Barnes went from being a player to being a manager, but, you know, Alessio's been a coach at the very, very highest level. Yeah, absolutely. But then you're relying on players to have the 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 ability to sort of examine uh, the, the way they look at, at the game and the way they think about their own performances. And, and a lot of the time, people don't do that. They just go along with um, how they feel in any given moment and how they feel over a period of a couple of weeks. And they won't be blaming... Uh, themselves and going, you know what? Maybe I need to be a little bit more open to this. They'll just say, "Nah, this this guy from Italy just he, he's not at it." 
you know, and, and, and listen, that's not to say this will happen because, you know, I, I've said that when we were chatting about this after the press, and I said, well, I'm slightly surprised at the level of his English. Um, and now I feel like I've, I've dug myself a massive hole because I said initially that I thought it was a very good appointment for all the reasons that Gaby's brought up, which, are, which is his experience of dealing with really, truly top-level players. But the thing that will define Alessio's term at Kilmarnock will be his ability to communicate those ideas to players of a lesser standard. That, that's what it comes down to. And my concern, as an outsider looking in on Kilmarnock so far, despite the fact I think it's a very good appointment, is that I think he might struggle in terms of his English at the level it is at the moment to get his ideas across the way he would probably want. I might be wrong on that. That's just my take on it. Absolutely get that. I think uh, what Gaby said about Massimo Donati, I think he could be key in that respect. But as you said, time will tell. We'll move on now to Stevie May, who could be in line for a return to St Johnston with the chairman... The St Johnson chairman Steve Brown saying Stevie May is one of those strikers we've identified but while we're in touch with his representative it's important to point out he's still a registered Aberdeen player um, however just as we did in January with Michael O'Halloran we are prepared to go that extra mile to make a serious attempt in bringing Stevie back so Stevie May as Steve Brown says he's still technically an Aberdeen player just now although he has been told that he can leave the club whether that's on a permanent basis or just on a loan deal St Mirren and Dundee have also been linked with Stevie May. Before we discuss the prospect of him potentially returning to St Johnston, Gaby, are you a bit surprised it's not worked out better for him at Aberdeen? A little bit. I think when he signed, a lot of people thought, you know, that's a really good signing for Aberdeen because he'd been a, a really good performer up here. I think he had a ratio of about one and two for St Johnston, maybe just, just shy of that. Uh, I do think he had, think he had some injuries though when he was in England and he does sort of look like he's lost maybe half a yard of pace. And he's he's just he's really not done it at Aberdeen. But then we've seen players like Greg Stewart go to Aberdeen and not and not necessarily perform at the highest level. So I am surprised, yes. And I think when he presumably moves on to one of these teams, we'll see if that was just a function of uh, the style at Aberdeen or you know not suiting him, or if it is that he's sort of he's lost something. And you alluded to Greg Stewart there, and obviously as a Kelly fan, he was a, a massive success at Rugby Park. Greg Stewart. Do you think there's something in there? possibly connecting May and Stewart in terms of how McInnes likes to line up his teams and maybe certain maybe certain players not quite fitting into that? I think, yes. Well, May is obviously less of a kind of flair player than Greg Stewart, but I think you could see last season that, interestingly, the two of them could not play in the same team because McInnes liked mm-hmm. to play May sort of in behind the striker and then that meant Stewart would have to go out wide, or if he put Stewart up with the striker, that meant May would have to go out wide, and he definitely couldn't find a way of fitting both of those players into the team. And I think McInnes is, and this is not criticism of him, but he's a guy who is system above all, that he wants his team to play a certain way, and he'll fit players into his system rather than necessarily looking to get the best out of a player's attributes. Okay, and uh, Johnny, if Stevie May goes to St Johnson, that'll obviously be his second spell at the club. He's highly regarded from his first spell there. But it's always a risk when a player goes back for a second time that they might it might not work out for them and that might possibly tarnish their legacy to a degree. Do you think it's a do you think it's a good idea for players to go back? I think it depends on the player. You look at Stevie May and he is a massive figure in the history of St Johnson. Not just in the recent history in their overall history, this is the only time they've ever won a major trophy mm-hmm. was when Stevie May was the fulcrum of the team that won the Scottish Cup in, I think, 2014. Yeah. Um, 
So he is literally a living legend yeah. um, at McDermott Park. There's no other way about it. I think he scored 28 goals, something around that in that season. And he was the key factor in St. John's success. I think the difficulty for Stephen May in going back there, while he'll be, I think, uh, helped mentally by being around um, a, a, a club where he was a, a roaring success and it'll feel uh, very comfortable and safe to him. I'm not sure, as Gabe's alluded to, that he's the same player that he was then. He had explosive pace and power, um, very, very fast over five yards, and that gave him a lot of um, of his goals uh, that season. And I think injuries robbed him of that. He's had to try and change his game a little bit. And yep. if St. Johnson fans are expecting to get in that same player, I think that's where you have problems because he's a totally different player to the one that they had before. And it's whether or not they, the fans will have adjusted their expectations. Um, you look at players famously that have come back, like someone like Barry Ferguson who came back and was excellent in his second spell at Rangers. Wasn't the same player. Wasn't quite mm-hmm. as good as, as the player that left. Again, he had injuries. Um, someone like Emilio Izaguirre, more recently with Celtic, mm-hmm. who had a very good spell in his first spell. I think he was player of the year in his first season. Um, came back in as obviously a, an understudy to Kieran Tierney, but didn't really set the heather alight. Nope. The other one that would stick out is Chris Boyd, who was brilliant for Kilmarnock in every single one of his spells at the club. So yep. I think that just goes to show you those three examples. It totally depends on the player. And this idea of never go back, it's a blanket term, um, is wrong. Yeah, I think it's more that you should be careful about going back because you bring with you baggage that can be unhelpful for your career going forward. Yeah, and Chris Boyd, obviously last season things sort of petered out a wee bit for him, but he had a fantastic season the year before that. Do you think that Chris Boyd enhanced his legacy going back that last time? I think he definitely did. Uh, it's And it's interesting with the Chris Boyd, because of course he had a second spell at Rangers, which was a disaster. So it just yeah. shows that it just it maybe doesn't even necessarily just depend on the player. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on a whole range of things. So as Johnny says, I think just to say never go back is, is too broad a statement. But I think Boyd absolutely did. I mean, he obviously, the first spell, he came through the command youth system. He scored a lot of goals and then went to Rangers. And I think people understood, but weren't, you know, they're always, you're always going to be annoyed to lose your best player. Then he came back and basically kept Kilmarnock in the league. The first full season he was back, I think he scored 23 goals, including the goal against Hibs, which meant Hibs went into the playoff and eventually went down and Kilmarnock avoided it. Then he went back to Rangers and then again he came to Kilmarnock for a third time and you know just the season before last he was the top scorer in the Premiership and I think he's the joint third top flight goal scorer of all time for Kilmarnock. So I think he absolutely if he'd never come back I don't think he'd have the same reputation at Kilmarnock that he does now and he'd also probably have a better reputation at Rangers if he hadn't gone back yeah. that, that spell at Rangers was one of the most bizarre spells in the history of Scottish football I'd love to get Chris Boyne sat down talking about that because yeah. he was the top scorer or one of the top scorers in the league the season before at Kelly he had one That's season the one there I'm talking about where yeah. he basically kept them up so he'd come come back from Portland um, people thought mm, he's been away for a few years. Will he be the same player? And he was terrific for Kelly that season. Yep. He went to Rangers. You thought not only is he back in banging form, he's playing in the championship yep. with Kenny Miller beside him, the guy who probably created more goals than anyone else in his time at Rangers. Yep. And he was honestly, guys, and I watched a lot of Rangers that season. He was abysmal. Was that was that down to the condition that Boyd was in? <clears throat> There's always been this thing where people look at Chris Boyd and say he's fat. Right. Mm. I've been at a press conference with Chris Boyd. Let me tell you, he is not fat no. in any way. There's not an ounce of fat on the guy. 
Um, but there's something about the way, I don't know, he carries himself, his yeah. gait. Yeah. It kind of makes him look a little bit heavy. I think it's broad shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people looked at him that season at Ibrox and thought he doesn't look in great condition. And of course, his mobility is not what it was. Uh, to be fair, he was never very mobile. I saw his debut. He's never been one to run around and, you know, yeah. Chat, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it was bizarre. He was totally isolated in that Rangers team. There wasn't a lot of creativity around them. Um, but you'd have thought him and Miller would have run riot. Yeah. And, and again, it's not just Chris Boyd. Kenny Miller went on to have great success after that season. Yeah. To me, it's a real indictment on Alan McCoy more than anything else. But, mm-hmm. but it is a, it's a really bizarre footnote in Chris Boyd's career that he had such success before and such success after, and he was so poor in that season at Rangers. Yeah, and credit to him for turning it around with his final spell at Kelly. So moving on to Andy Gray, who has taken a break from enjoying some classic bants with Richard Keyes to suggest that Rangers are 100% ready to make a proper title challenge this season. So we have discussed previously on the podcast the kind of the the big... Um, the big changes that have been made in terms of the playing squad at Rangers over the summer, eight new signings, uh, Philip Hellander obviously being one of the most high profile and the most recent. Um, Johnny, do you believe that Rangers are capable of mounting a title challenge this season? I absolutely do. And at the moment, as things stand here and now, I think Rangers will win the league. Now, that's a big statement. Because Celtic could go out and spend thirty million, and of course, if that happens, and I'm very impressed with the signings they bring in, then I'll change. I'll change my mind on it. But I see a huge amount of improvement in terms of adding on very solid foundations that Gerard had built in the first season. Um, I see uh, a centre half that, if he lives up to his billing, should come in and definitely improve that first team squad. I see Borna Barisic, a player who should come in and show what he's all about. And that would be a massive, massive upgrade to Rangers, having had six months, um, six poor months really before, but showing enough talent to suggest that he can be a player for them. I think Joe Aribo looks like um, the player they've been missing in that midfield to give them a bit of dynamism. A guy who loves robbing people high up the park, loves pressing. It's exactly what Rangers need up there. And then I think um, you've got people like Jordan Jones, Shiojo, Greg Stewart, None of those as individuals necessarily going to be the, the title clincher, but it's it's a flood of quality in that final third, which Rangers were desperately desperately needing. Do you think last season, uh, maybe a lack of strength and depth was a problem for Rangers? Oh, abs- absolutely, uh, especially in the first half of the season, when uh, before they had signed Davis and uh, Defoe, and you saw the situation perfectly captured that when uh, they had to play... Uh, the guy's name it's I've, I've now forgotten Gabby you'll remind me um, the striker they played in the semi-final against Aberdeen uh, Sadiq Umar Sadiq Umar yeah, oh, yeah. Umar Sadiq yeah, yeah. Um, so that was because Lafferty was injured Morelos was suspended you have to play this guy who's not he's not really played at all no. and was essentially disastrous uh, I think he was caught offside six times in the first half alone <laughs> so that, that summed up the problem with Rangers and they've slowly but surely added upon that in the January transfer window, as I've stated, and they've done that again this summer. At the same time, I think Celtic are looking to downscale. They've downscaled their manager. There's no doubt to me that, that Brendan Rodgers and the staff um, were on a, on a level that's higher than Neil Lennon. Having said that, I do think Neil Lennon's a very, very good manager, and in some ways, especially in Europe, will probably have Celtic doing better 
and, mm-hmm. and Brendan Rogers. But I do think for domestically and the the the, co- the coaching of that kind of fluid style that Celtic had that was so effective, I don't think Neil Lennon's going to be able to, to pull off anything like that. Yeah, I think when players like Callum McGregor, like Kieran Tierney leave, if and when they do, they will be replaced by players who aren't as good. Uh, you see, you see, Boyata's gone. Is Christopher Julian better or not? We'll find out. Um, Kieran Tierney looks like he's going to go. Is Bolly Bolingo Bolingoli Bolly Bolingoli and Bombo? Is he? Is that right? Bolly Bolingoli and Bombo. Come Jeez on, old. Johnny. Bolly Bolingoli and Bombo. Great. <laughs> Got there in the end. Um, it's going to be a big ask for him to be anything like on the level of Tierney. Yeah. So I see this element of Celtic rightly moving on players that have, have come to the end of their natural lifespan of Celtic, players who deserve to go on, they've, they've won treble trebles, go on and improve their careers at bigger, at bigger, in bigger leagues. Um, but can they bring in the level of quality that, that means that they're not dropping down a little bit? I think that's extraordinarily difficult because they did such a good job building that team in the first place. Gaby, let's just say, for the sake of this segment, that your dream of Alessandro Del Piero wrapping a league winner's medal around Angelo Alessio's neck doesn't come true in May. Do you agree with Johnny that not only have Rangers made the necessary improvements to be in with a shout of winning it, Celtic have slightly gone in the other direction and allowed Rangers to be in with a shout? Not particularly, no. (laughs) Uh, to, so are Rangers in with a shout is it possible they could win the league yes is it likely no Celtic start the season as absolutely massive favourites I think uh, Johnny's talked about Celtic uh, downgrading and the players Rangers have brought in but we haven't seen much of Joe Aribo yet apart from pre-season friendly so we don't know how he'll do Hellander I think should be a good signing as I predicted the other day Jordan Jones and Greg Stewart have performed before but they both had terrible second halves to last season You look at Celtic last season, they sold Dembele on transfer deadline day and didn't replace him, so basically didn't have him for the season. They didn't have Griffiths for the entire second half of the season. They didn't have Tierney for a lot of the season. Scott Brown was out for, what, two months. They lost the manager in February, and they still won the league by nine points. So Rangers didn't even get close last season. I think the jury's still out on Steven Gerrard. I think he's certainly an upgrade on what they've had before. But the Rangers, again, last season, they didn't get close to winning the league. They didn't get to either of the cup finals. They did well in Europe, and they certainly did improve. But I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm not sure that we can say for certain that Gerard is, you know, a, a top manager. I agree with Johnny about the limitations Lennon has, but he's been there and done it before with Celtic in the league. He's won the league with Celtic before. We know he knows what um, what it takes to win the league in Scotland. We know the affinity he has with that club. We know that Celtic have spending power that dwarfs anyone else in the league. Uh, Rangers and then obviously many steps below everybody else. If Tierney goes, which it looks like he will, then they'll replace him with someone who's not as good. I think I've said that on the podcast before, but it'll give them a huge amount of money to invest in that squad. Money that other clubs in the league can only dream of. And don't forget, if we look at the other side... Uh, Alfredo Morelos is probably quite likely to leave this summer as well as is Tierney that's Rangers top scorer from last season so then they're going into the season with a striker who is 37 years old looks very sharp has looked very good so far but he is 37 years old you don't know what his body's going to do to him across across a, a long season we don't know what the sort of backup options for him will look like if they sell Morelos and get somebody else in so I think you have to still consider Celtic as being massive favourites and I think if Celtic don't win the league, it'll be 
it'll be an indictment of them as well as being obviously it would be a great achievement for Rangers if they could do it I don't disagree with anything Gaby said there and he's right to say that if Morelos does go that's very difficult but I'm not talking about later I'm talking about as we stand now with the squads the way they are um, you, if Rangers were to sell Morelos and not replace him with someone adequate then of course it entirely changes everything for me at the moment Rangers have a 30 goal striker in Al- Alfredo Morelos and they've got another 30 goal striker in Jermaine Defoe if he can keep up the form that he showed towards the end of last season whether you want to keep those both both those players or not I think just Stephen Gerrard would like to whether or not he can or not is another story someone might come in with a massive offer that would change things but I think if you look at the old firm games last season it tells a story the first game, Celtic were, were dominant. They, they bossed Rangers. Could have been 4-0. It really showed a gap there. The, the, sec- the second game was the exact opposite. Rangers bossed Celtic at Ibrox, and it could have been 2 or 3-0. The third game was a bizarre game. That was Neil Lennon's first one. Celtic started brilliantly. The first 30 minutes, up until the sending off, um, looked much better than Rangers. But then Rangers dominated the rest of that game. Celtic got over the line in the end. But I thought there was just a sense that Rangers looked to me like a team that were starting to feel a little bit more confident about these games. And then the last game at Ibrox, I thought Rangers gave the best performance in an old firm game that they've given in years. Mm-hmm. They but- absolutely dominated Celtic. And if you look across those four games, how could you say that, that there was any kind of gap there? Because Rangers actually, they won two of the games out of four. But isn't, isn't that the point that they that all the things I mentioned before and Rangers won two old form games which they hadn't done in previous seasons and mm. they still finished nine points behind. So there essentially has to be a 10-point swing this season. Rangers either have to be 10 points better, Celtic have to be 10 points worse or some combination of the two. And I think that's a massive, massive gap to overcome. Yeah, it's a big gap. But if you look at just Rangers' results against Kilmarnock alone, I think Rangers only got two points at Kilmarnock. So they dropped 10 points to Kilmarnock. So, if they have the same year, but sort out those issues with regards to breaking down deep-lying defences that plagued them all season, I think you could see a big difference. And looking at the signings that Gerrard's made, to me, they seem tailor-made to do that. The Greg Stewart's, the Jordan Jones, the um, Shea Ojo looks very good. Again, Gaby's absolutely right to point out it's early days. Um, Aribo as well look like players that can unlock that door for Rangers at that level. There's a lot to play for. It could massively change by the end of pre-season. But I think Rangers are looking in decent shape. Celtic still have a bit of a bit of work to do in terms of the transfer market. At the moment, Celtic have one right back. Yep. You know, that is a significant problem for them. They've got Anthony Ralston there, who's a, he's a young player, who I think is probably, most people would say, Celtic fans would say, doesn't really look like a Celtic long-term solution at right back. So I think they need two players at right back. If Tierney goes, they'll need another left-back. There's a lot of work still to be done on that squad, and a lot of it will depend on how these new players coming in uh, settle. settle. Uh, the left-back that's come in, um, the centre-back that's come in, both have come in from uh, football that's out with the UK. So Scottish football is a culture shock, and they will take time to adjust to that. That's going to be a big factor. Yeah, the flip side of it is though was that you know you talked about Rangers having two 30 goal strikers and with Griffiths coming back I think you could <clears throat> excuse me I think you could say the same thing for Celtic with Edward and Griffiths who presumably will both be available for the whole season and my voice is going so we'll just uh... <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> on that note <laughs> sorry about that that's quite alright at least you were 
making a valid point while uh, you were... It's a surprise to me throat. that Gaby's got red-faced and uh, dry-throated when he was talking about um, Rangers as opposed to um, uh, Del Piero's comments <laughs> on Kilmarnock. Read into that what you will. That's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter. That's at football underscore Scott. To ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can get me on at Old Firm Facts 1, Johnny on at Johnny R. McFarlane and Gaby on at Gaby McKay. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.